0: Well, Welcome again, everyone. It's great to uh, be together worshiping and see a great mix of, uh, of folks here during the summer, regulars, new people. We never know what's going to show up in the summer, so it's always, it's always a, a good surprise, usually. Uh, my name's Jason, by the way, one of the folks who pastors with this crew at Artisan, and I'm a bit excited about something that's going to happen in my life here in a couple weeks, real milestone, a big experience. I will for one, not be here, which uh, I'll miss you guys, but I'll be off enjoying my 20th high school reunion. If you can believe that, that this guy, you know, it's not a Doogie Howser thing. I did not go to high school when I was eight years old. I am older than I look. Um, No, so my 20th reunion... And I don't know why I picked that up, because there's nothing in there about it. Uh, I'm excited, though. Obviously, I'm losing track of my mind. Um, and I'm enjoying the, just the anticipation of, of hanging out with some friends I haven't seen forever. Most of them I haven't seen for 20 years. A few I saw 10 years ago at the last reunion. Um, but I grew up, as some of you may not know this, I grew up in Maine. It's a joke around here that I mention that way too often, but, but I did. So way up at the top of the state, Presque Isle, Maine, about a 14-hour drive, is where I'll be going. And as uh, I was preparing the message for this week, we're in the midst of the book of Philippians. This nice four chapter, tight little book in the New Testament that has this overarching theme of joy. I was thinking about the ways I was enjoying, looking forward to the reunion, and the ways I might enjoy being there. And I realized there was a a, a slight dark side to my enjoyment, which I'm sure some of you are shocked at that also, that there'd be a dark side to me and my enjoyment. But uh, I realized as I was reading some of the profiles, because there's, you know, a little website put together now and people post pictures and what they're doing with their life and things like that. I realized I was playing a game and getting a little bit of enjoyment out of it, of comparing myself, the things that are in my life and the things I've collected these last 10 and 20 years to what a few other people had listed there. And I'm not proud to say um, that there was little twinges of enjoyment. When I'd read about someone who was, who was single again, oh, that's too bad, but I'm happily married. You know, I got a fantastic wife. And someone who didn't have kids, oh, that's, well, some of you don't think that's sad at all, but those of us who have kids, you know, we have our good days and bad ones, but usually we think, oh, that's, that's too bad. I got two great kids. And then some of the folks who still live in northern Maine, surrounded by potato fields and bears and moose and doing some job up there. And I think, oh, I'm glad I have got my job. This gig is fantastic. And some of the pictures, uh, I felt pretty good about how I look now. You know, eight months ago, if you go look at the leadership team uh, board out there, it looks like someone, you know, ate me and put my skin on them or something. And they're just, just nuts. It's, this is a better look for me. But man, there's some folks who had lost lots of hair that were different shapes. And again, not proud, but I enjoyed that a little too much. And we do that sometimes, don't we? We find our joy sometimes in places where we shouldn't. The accomplishments we, we have, the things we've collected into our lives, the way we measure up to others, we sometimes find our joy there. And to the extent that we don't measure up, or we fall short, or... We skip the reunion because we don't want to tell our story. You know, there's no joy there. And that's not the way it's supposed to be for me, for you, for anyone. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he admits to the fact that he once viewed his life that way as well. That what made it valuable, worthwhile, where he found his enjoyment was in how he measured up to other people how he thought of himself, the accomplishments he had. So let's jump in and see what we get to learn about joy this week. We're looking at Philippians chapter three. And start at the end of verse four. And as we've encouraged you each week, this short little book of the Bible, take time this month to read the whole thing through. And this week, I'm only gonna pull out a few verses here in chapter three. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. And if you don't have a habit of reading the Bible, it's a great place to start this week. Try will probably read the whole chapter in about six minutes. Uh, do that this week. Try to scrape together six minutes if you can and read the Bible. Uh, but we pick it up at the end of verse four in Philippians three. And here's how Paul describes how he used to be. And he says, if anyone has, else has reason to be confident in the flesh, to be proud of what can be accomplished through human strength and what we can do on our own. If anyone has reason to be confident in themselves, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day. You you don't usually see that in the Facebook profile, do you? It's it's a new app they have. Um, But what he's saying, I've been a Jew since birth. Had all the right adjustments made, apparently. Circumcised in the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, God's chosen people, selected from all of humanity to be God's way of blessing humankind how well they did at that. There's a lot, of, a lot of writing in the Bible about that. But Paul says, hey, I'm one of the, the chosen people. And not only am I a member of Israel, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, you know, like the best of the best. It's one of the, you know, you can be in the 11 tribes if you want, but the Benjamins, that's the place to roll. And a Hebrew born of Hebrews. And what he may be saying there is that not only does he understand the Hebrew culture, he speaks the language for many Israelites, they'd been scattered through all the the different things that had gone on through the generations, the exiles, the the famines, that the majority of Jewish people lived outside the holy city would occasionally visit there, maybe once in their lifetime, and many of them did not speak and understand Hebrew. Maybe a, a few prayers. And Paul says, you know, I know the mother tongue. I'm multilingual even. I can speak your language And the right one. (laughs) And as to the law, those requirements, how we measure up, I'm a Pharisee, best of the best. And as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So that's how Paul describes, as we'll see in a moment, how he used to view his, his life. Again, I could play that game. A lot of us could. Um... For some reason, I think for good reasons, a lot of times in the church, when we talk about what Jesus brings and the change He can can make in lives, we often start at the point of, of someone's failure or where they're all screwed up and broken and damaged and where sin has just ripped a life apart. And that's important to start there. But we often gloss over how some of the shiny things and the good stuff we collect to our lives can be just as damaging. In fact, because they're so enjoyable and so enticing and and deceiving, they can keep us further from Christ than any problem or sin that may actually drive us to Christ instead. I can think of that for myself, you know, imagining the conversations at my 20th reunion about my wife, my kids, other stuff. You know, I... I could put together a pretty good resume, if I say so myself, and I will. No. Uh, I make up stuff. Uh, not it's true, but I, I imagine conversations where I, maybe I could just slip something in where someone says, "Yeah, you know, we moved to our new house," and I could say, "Really?" And we own two houses. You know, I, I could just slip that in there. Now, for those who don't know me, that what an arrogant, what a jerk. You know, uh, that's not nearly as impressive as it as it sounds. But no, I'm a small-time real estate investor. I yeah. oh, own five units. Well, a duplex and a triple across the yard. But, but you could spin that at a 20th reunion. You're never going to see those people again anyway. So I own eight houses. Uh, and the things we collect can be just as much a barrier to the joy in the life Christ has for us. Those things that we use to make ourselves feel better and look better than others. We can do that. And I think for the folks here at Artisan, I'm sure there's brokenness here, that there's struggles that people have. But this is an odd group of people in many ways. But as far as churches go, God has collected together a rather impressive group of people don't get too proud because we're going to say how that's not necessarily a good thing, but... A lot of us live here in the southeast part of the city or, or come in. It's the most affluent part of the city. You look at the demographics, it has the highest education rates just off the chart compared to the rest of the city. In fact, it has the highest concentration of highly educated, uh, affluent people compared to most of Greater Rochester. We've got some suburbs over here, but the concentration is really quite amazing here. Uh, the opportunities, and you know, I know some of you folks that the careers you already have, our average age here is somewhere in the late 20s. Don't feel bad if you're older or younger, but it sort of averages out there. And the jobs, the, the opportunities, the accomplishments that some of you already have under your belt is amazing. Now, to whom much is given, much is required, but maybe our problem is the shiny stuff where a lot of us need to start, the the things we collect. And so Paul says that was his issue before. And then he says he made this shift, a fundamental shift. We pick it up in verse 7. And he says of, of all these accolades and impressive accomplishments that he's had in his life, He says in verse 7, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as scubalach. Scubalach. What does that word mean? Didn't translate it there because a lot of our modern translations, I'm not sure do a great job with that word. And it's really important, that, that word skubala in the original Greek, that we understand it. Because if it's just a, a soft word, then, then what he's considered as loss is maybe not a big deal. If it's a really profound word, maybe adds some weight to what he's saying. So what does he mean there? Well, the translation we're reading here is the New Revised Standard Version. We tend to use that here. It's a little more scholarly. Uh, We'd rather explain stuff than, I don't know, dumb it down. Sounds mean, but it's the way we try to do it here. And uh, they translate it rubbish. Whoa, can you say that in church? Rubbish. Come on. Uh, How does that hit you? That really just kind of... Someone started reading scripture, inscription, you heard rubbish. Where am I at? It's not a very strong word. When I think of the word rubbish, the image that comes to mind is, you know, is, is just kind of dropping some, some papers on the floor, and then the butler comes and picks it up, you know, and puts it in the bin, because he's British, it's the bin. It's <laughs> just going to take care of the rubbish. The rubbish. Rubbish is something that you tidy up. Or the help takes care of even better, right? That's what you do with rubbish, so no big deal. There's another translation. I think this may be my favorite translation. It's uh, one of the original English translations. So this is going way back, 14th century. A guy named Wycliffe had this radical idea that God's word should be accessible to God's people. So he translated it into English, of all things, uh, got in lots of trouble. People were mad at him. Uh, he did manage, however, to escape excommunication while he was alive. Even though uh, the institutional church spoke against him, had all these, you know, problems with that, uh, he was in good standing on his deathbed. And so, gets off scot-free, right? What's the worst thing can do to you after you die? Dig you up? Yep, they can. So they dug him up burned his bones, and threw him in the river. That's what they thought of him translating God's word into English. So, I don't know, there's a lesson there somewhere. Um, But here's what he says. And so now imagine the British butler reading this. Tie it all together. He says, this is how Wycliffe translated this. Nevertheless, I guess all things to be impairment. That sound good? Impairment for the clear science of Jesus Christ my Lord. For whom I made all things impairment, and I deem as turds. <laughs> is that awesome or what? <laughs> turds. I'm throw down some 14th century English here. And it's way closer. In fact, back in, back in Wycliffe's day, it was a stronger word than it is even to our ears. But, but what Paul is saying here is all this stuff that you collect. Measure yourself against and make yourself feel good about and where you place all your enjoyment or lack of enjoyment in these things. If that's where you're at, you're just a turd. You, know? you can't throw, you can't catch. You're, you're a turd. You know? Put it in a box, slap a guarantee on it. What do you got? Still a turd. And so this is serious. That's still a fairly soft word. What word should I use? I don't know. Whose idea was it to have kids in the service, but... You can sometimes get away with saying bad words if you do them in another language. You ever use that trick? As long as the people who speak the language aren't around, you know, so, so maird. Ex- excuse my French, but that's a little more accurate. Oh, that went right over your heads, wow, sorry. Language of my forebears. i gonna walk the line here the kids in the room. Um, the Irish. Which said it was shite. Do you get it though? I I can keep going, I can do this all night, but it's like like a bunch of people are never coming back. It's a serious idea. In the context, the image that Paul is drawing from is, is just the nastiest stuff. See, in Jewish culture, there were there were certain things that were unclean that would make you just unclean to be around. One of them was dogs. They weren't man's best friend. They weren't, you know, telling people to go to the well and rescue Timmy. You know, no carry-ons. They were vicious scavengers. They ate dead stuff. And after they ate the dead stuff, they would go on your lawn, just like they do today, and just squat there. And then if they were still a little bit hungry, they'd just eat that. That's scuba. The message translation, a modern English translation, uses dog dung. I still don't think that's strong enough, but that's the image. And so maybe we should take seriously what Paul is saying. If he's had this change of perspective, that all these seemingly good things, as well as the losses he's experienced, because he's experienced those as well. And some of you that said, I wish my life had those problems. Uh, High GPA, captain of the football team, that'd be great to have those problems. Hey, Paul had loss as well. You want to compare stories, he'll win there also. Don't forget, this letter he's writing to the church in Philippi, he's Mm -hmm. writing it shackled to a Roman centurion under house arrest, awaiting trial at the hands of the Roman Empire for sedition, for revolution. And if the verdict comes back guilty, he'll be put to death, which is what happened to him eventually. But even anticipating the loss, he's already, I think in his missionary career at this point, I believe he's already, if not he will, but he's been beaten nearly to death a few times, shipwrecked, attacked by animals. Uh, There's some indications that his family, he may have even been married, but have rejected him outright, because he's now joined with Jesus and his cause. He knows what loss is as well. He says it's all just total crap. Why does he say that? Pick it up at the end of verse 8. We'll kind of start back, and let's keep going a little bit further this time. Here's why he's had this change of perspective. He says in verse 8, For Christ's sake I have suffered the loss of all things and regard them as total crap in order that I may gain Christ. Can you believe that? That, you, that even the good things in your life might get in the way of experience what Christ has. Anyone, I know that's a rhetorical question, you know, moved lately from one house to another? Right? Yeah. Some of you college students had to pack up your dorm room last spring and and now you're going to move into a new place. Uh, maybe you're going to a new apartment this summer. Maybe you're getting married and bringing all your stuff together. And you look and you go, where did all this crap come from? That's just the physical stuff. I mean, some of you folks have enough emotional baggage to You know, fill a U-Haul also. And there's, so you got the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual. Paul says, I just needed to consider it all secondary, loss, total crap, so that I could experience Christ fully. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, you know, from measuring up to an external standard, but one that comes through faith in Christ, The righteousness from God based on faith. So you may recall that the series title is Joy on Purpose. That's not something that happens accidentally. We don't think Scripture says. Probably not going to stumble into it. That there may be a part for you to play. And what Paul's saying here is if you want to find real joy, you're going to have to deal with the crap in your life you got to deal with it. Whether it's the horrible things that some of us experience or the really shiny, wonderful, beautiful things that are just as much crap when they get in the way of Christ. You've got to deal with it. So how do you deal with it? I imagine there's three ways. Two of them fairly common, I would say. One of them, the first... I think is more common amongst religious people, those who uh, travel in those circles. And it's to take all that crap in your life and just hold it in, just push it down, keep it inside. We have some uh, medical students and doctors here. What's, what's the term for that, being full of crap like that? You're constipated. And a lot of people deal with the crap in their life that way. And for some reason, they they go to churches a lot too. and You can see it on their face, that that look. They walk a little funny. It's crap that hasn't been dealt with, just just held inside. There's another way to deal with crap also, though. I think this is the one the culture encourages. No surprise, it's the other extreme. So instead of being an anal, anal retentive person, holding it all in, you're an expulsive person the way you deal with your crap is you get rid of it, but you're like a monkey at the zoo, you know? <laughs> and you just put your crap somewhere else. You figure someone else will take care of it. It's going to end up in a landfill somewhere. We know how well that always works. There's nothing that ever goes wrong with a landfill. You just put it there, forget about it. No worries. And uh, we pick our landfills. It could be... You know, amongst our family, they're a good landfill sometimes. Our friends, our church, they can deal with our crap. Could be the neighborhood you live in that you don't do anything to improve or fix up or care about. The whole culture and society, and all of us, a lot of us, kind of combine our crap until the sum, the total is greater than the sum of its parts. It's just this towering landfill of human misery and failure and crap that will just get worse and worse. could have been dealt with when it was small. And now, now what are we going to do? So those are two ways. You can be constipated or do the landfill route. But there's, there's a third way. If you're exploring the Christian faith, let me encourage you that there is often a third way. That the extremes that we tend to go towards in life are usually just that extremes. But there's a third way, you take that crap and you compost it. Problem is, we don't have the wherewithal to do that on our own. We're incapable because of sin and failure and our own fallibility. We can't do it. But that's the reality. You maybe heard the saying, we'll clean it up a bit, you know, crap happens, right? Here's the good news, though. I suspect you may not have heard the, uh, the gospel described in these terms. Crap happens, but Jesus composts, right? <laughs> He doesn't want you to be constipated. We've got enough constipated people, particularly Christians in this world. He doesn't want the landfills just getting deeper and deeper. He wants to break it down, do something with it. and It's a good reminder you know, in some ways, as we look at this, to remember that Jesus never promises a crap-free life. If that's what you think you're signing up for, you got the wrong guy. In fact, we look at Paul's life, his life got crappier after he became a Christian. When the crap at the fan was on the road to Damascus, that's when it started going south. Now his joy became deeper and richer, perhaps because of the compost that was there. But we also, as Brian talked about last week in chapter two, we have a savior who doesn't feel like he's above it all. He needs to stay apart from the crap. That was willing to come down and live amongst us, take on our full humanity. In fact, he didn't just show up as a 33-year-old adult male. He started as the tiniest of zygotes. Three trimesters and then he was born. You mums have experienced that. He was born in a pool of placenta, sweat, snot, tears, blood, and crap in a barn. He doesn't have any problem dealing with it. He enters it gladly to make a new way. So what are we going to do? If it's joy on purpose, if there's something that we need to do to deal with this crap in our lives, what will it be? Will, will you be the person who's, you know got that pinched look on your face like you've eaten way too much cheese, you know, just, just constipated in life, not dealing with those things? Until at some point, this is a medical reality as well, it will come out. And the longer the pressure builds, the more you hold it in, the bigger the blast radius, the more damage you will do to yourself and others. Or are you going to pick the selfish route? Maybe you don't want to be a crap martyr, right? But you'll you'll just soon fling it, let, let it end up in the landfill, someone else will deal with it. Do you want to be that person? Or... Would you rather give it to Jesus? Let Him deal with it and compost it. Only problem is that's, that's pretty hard to do, isn't it? It's embarrassing to admit to those things in our lives, to, to have that attitude. Anyone who's had a medical exam, gone for a physical, and you had to go by the office the day before, and they gave that little brown paper bag and it had... Had the cup inside. Oh, not the little one for the liquids. Oh, no, no, no. A little cream cheese sized one, that one. You know that cup. They had you take it home. And you're like, oh, that's what that's for. Yeah. Put it in the fridge. You might want to put a note on it in the fridge. All right. And then when you had to come back for your physical, with your little, your little lunch sack, you handed it to the nurse or the doctor. Imagine doing that with Christ. Now, I like, to, I like to imagine Christ in some different ways than you may, but I tend to think he's kind of a funny guy. Look at the scriptures. Uh, they're full of laughs. Uh, they are, actually. But I think Jesus, you see it in the scripture, sometimes pretends for our sake that he doesn't always know what's going on. He's omniscient, though, so he does. Uh I can imagine giving him that little, that little lunch bag. And him go, oh, what's this? Hey, little guy, what do you got for me? And you're like, oh, just take it. No, oh, this is very nice. Do we have to do this every time, Jesus? And he goes, this reminds me of a story. You know, he's always got a story. You know? So it's like when that little boy brought me his lunch and we fed the 5,000. Is that what you're doing for me, little guy? You know it's not what I'm doing. Just take. And he does, he takes our crap, if we're humble and willing to give it to him. And so, so what are you going to do? I want to give you a chance to respond. A chance to to reflect on that in your life. And I want to give you a hands-on experience. Some of you got real nervous just then. I want you to really kind of get up to your elbows in this issue. Uh, of scuba in your life. And so, let's go on a little pilgrimage. I'm going to let you go here in a moment where you're going to go on a pilgrimage. Now, I need to be honest. It's not a very good pilgrimage. There's no, like, holy city or cathedral at the end of it. There's no, you know, left toe of a saint behind glass that you're going to, you know, kiss or something. it's, there's no postcards. It's, it's a crappy pilgrimage, all right? Going to go a few dozen feet and mostly in a circle. Uh, but here's what you're going to do in that pilgrimage. First, dog owners know what this is tools of the trade. You're uh, going to head out this door, and you may have walked by a table as you came through the front door. You may not have realized, but piled on that table was grade A, organic, the best money can buy crap. and I want you to walk to that I told you, it's a crappy pilgrimage this, you're not going to write your mom about this one um, take one of the bags out of the, out of the bin there and uh, and as you're going there as you're making this walk because the purpose of the pilgrimage is to give you time to reflect to think about where you're going and what you need to deal with but as you're going give your life the smell test just kind of Sniff some areas of your life. You might go over in this area of of your relationships. Just take a you know a little breath there, and if your eyes tear up, there may be some crap that you need to deal with in your relationships. You know, in your mind, you may want to imagine your those that pile of receipts, your checkbook, your quicken account online, however you do it. Take a take a noseful of your finances. Like, oh, if you throw up a little bit in your mouth, yeah. <laughs> there may be some crap you need to deal with. All kinds of places you could sniff. How you treat other people. Do you use them? Do you compare yourself? Are there a landfill for you? And if you take, take a big breath and, and sort of stagger, <laughs> there may be some crap you need to deal with. I don't know what your deal is, that's why I'm sending you on a pilgrimage, so you can figure some of that out. But as you go there and get your little, your little plastic bag, I want you to pick up a good, good pile. Sort of squish it in your hand there, there in that table. And just picture that as all the crap in your life that you need to deal with. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the things you shine up that are still a turd the hurts, the pains, whatever it is. And then you're going to keep walking, and maybe sprinkling a little bit, but you won't melt. Uh, You're going to come to the garden that's new this year, the artisan garden. And as an act, a defiant act of prayer, you're going to just dump the crap right there. And then then what's going to happen? Instantly, all your problems will be gone, right? No more than instantly there will be bell peppers and pumpkins and everything else grown, you know, like a fairy came by and just sprinkled some dust on them. Uh, It'll take a while, but it's a start. And it's a promise. That's what a garden is, isn't it? A promise that something's going to grow here. There's going to be a bounty. And the more we put our crap in the hands of Christ to break it down, to make it something rich and earthy where something good can grow. The better off we'll all be. So spend a few moments by the garden if you want. Uh, Pray, reflect, but leave the crap there. And then, literally, in a few weeks' time, a couple months from now, we will enjoy the bounty. Your crap will be a blessing because we put it in the hands of Jesus. He's going to grow something out of that. Let's pray. God, we do thank you. And we don't mean it, or at least I don't, in a flippant way at all, but I am thankful that you deal with our crap, that you put up with it, that you address the issues, and that out of your amazing love for us, you did not spare your own son from all the crap we've created, but you sent him to be born, to grow, to walk amongst us, And we thank you that in the cross, all the crap we could throw his way, all the crap that Satan, sin, and death could pile on, he took in himself, and he buried it. He took it to the grave and composted the hell out of it. And then rose victorious to make that offer to us of new life, of a rich life, no matter what the crap we bring. And so go with us as we do this little pilgrimage, this reflection time, this time of prayer. Let us be honest. Let this be a physical act of handing over to you the things that embarrass us, the things we're proud of, the things that hold us back regardless from experiencing the joy in the full life that you have for us. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name, amen, amen. So in a moment, you're free to go, but some of you may be wondering, you know, where's the communion table? It's usually up here. Did he forget? I didn't forget. But you may have a question. We do communion every week for those who might be here for the first time or, or weren't sure. What order do I do this in? Probably, you know, a lot of us would think, well, I know. I go and deal with the crap first, and then I'm clean enough. Then I'm welcome at the table, right? The table's out here in the hallway. You're going to have to walk by it. And if you're seeking to follow after Jesus, you know, even more than you were 10 minutes ago, it's open to you. It's okay if you choose not to, though, if you don't think it's where you're at just yet, but you do not need to have it all figured out, and you definitely don't need to have your crap together. I don't want you to make either of these mistakes when it comes to the grace Christ offers. I don't want anyone to think for a moment you can get yourself clean enough to deserve what that table represents. And I don't want anyone to think that because you can't clean yourself up enough, you're not welcome there. That Last Supper. Here's the people that were at that table. Peter, who cursed Christ out and denied him three times just hours later. Judas, with his own hands, dipped his bread in Christ's bowl and ate with him and then went and betrayed him, sold him out. Thomas, I can imagine Thomas would, would hang out here at Artisan, kind of cynical, you know, knows everything, got all the answers, Yeah, you know? he'd, he'd be a good Artisan fit anyways. many um, ways. Wouldn't believe that Christ rose from the dead till he could put his grubby fingers in the holes in his side. Those are some crappy disciples, some crappy friends. That's us, and we're still welcome to the table. So I would encourage you, if you choose, to take communion first. And then as a response to that grace, go deal with the crap. Amen? Let me pray one more time and let you go. So Christ, again, we thank you for the offer of grace. And as we come traipsing in to your table, tracking in all the crap from our lives, it's still under our fingernails, the stench clinging to us, you welcome us to your table and break bread with us because you are a gracious Savior who wants us more than us cleaning ourselves up first. So go with us now as we worship and confess and cry out to you and hand over to you what only you can deal with. Turn it into something rich, something that can grow new things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're welcome to go and respond. Make your way back in here afterwards. Uh, If you need to pray with someone, I'm going to hang out there in the lobby. There's a few chairs out there. Come pray with me. We'll come sing in a few moments, but take your time. Communion, crappy pilgrimage, come on back and worship. Amen. Respond as God leads you.